Teardowns of new electronic products have become a cultural phenomenon. Millions of fans eagerly await details of the internal components of Apple's latest devices. A lot of this has to do with Carl Wiens, CEO of iFixit, the second biggest supplier of Apple parts after Apple itself, and publisher of the huge and amazing iFixit Repair Wiki. This week we talked to Carl about all the work that goes into making the teardowns for a massive global audience, and the secrets of the latest iPhone 7. My name is Leander Caney. I'm the editor and publisher of Cult of Mac, a blog about Apple, and the New York Times bestselling author of some books about technology, most recently a biography of Johnny Ive, Apple's head designer. Caney's Corner is a new weekly podcast. Every week I'll be interviewing a guest about the world of Apple. I've got some great guests lined up, including a bunch of ex-Apple staffers, who will talk about their work and working with Steve Jobs. I've also got people like an iPhone case maker, who'll spill the beans on the competitive and shabby world of case making. Being first to market is worth millions of dollars, and these guys do some crazy things to get the specs of Apple's upcoming devices to get the jump on the competition. I'll also talk to app makers and IT guys and recyclers. It's a big Apple world out there, and there's tons of great, fascinating stories to tell. Hi, so I have Kyle Wines with me today. Did I pronounce that correctly? Wines. Wines, I beg your pardon, Kyle. And I, at least I got Kyle right. <laughs> so, Kyle, you're the, um, you run um, uh, iFixit. And can you t- tell me a little bit about iFixit? How's it doing these days? Yeah, so iFixit's mission is to teach everybody how to fix all their stuff, and we're making really good progress. We've over uh, we're over twenty thousand things on iFixit. So we started with Apple products, but we're dramatically expanded from there. We have bike repair information. We've got tutorials that we partner with Patagonia to teach people how to fix their clothes. Uh, things are going really well. That's awesome, yeah. And because you started out as a um, Apple parts supplier and put up the, um, the, uh, the the tutorials to help sell more parts. Yeah, so we had kind of really optimized on what do we, what does it take to help people fix their at the time it was iBooks and PowerBooks and spent a lot of time designing a repair interface that worked well, which means you need to figure out what's wrong, how do I fix it, what are the tools and parts that I need, and we we kind of designed an integrated you know, website with everything all tied together. And it was working so well in the Apple realm, you know, we've kind of quickly became the de facto go-to Apple repair resource. We said, all right, this is this formula is working and no one is doing this for repair of anything out there. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. We, you know, we were doing it with Apple repair, but nobody was doing it for washing machine repair or bike repair. And so we, we uh, open sourced everything and turned it into a wiki and uh, the rest is kind of history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a beautiful job. And of course, you're most famous for your teardowns. Um, and I was just looking at the video and the pictures from the latest one, and it, it's a, a really a great piece of work. And it must be a lot of work, too. Yes, the teardowns are a massive amount of work. Uh, and they have only, I mean, every, every year we do it, we put more work into it. Um, these teardowns, we had... I mean, we had something like 30 people involved in various stages of these teardowns. <laughs> wow, really? Um, we did we did live uh, live streams and live uh, live translations in both with Tencent in China and with Nikkei in Japan. Wow. Uh, we actually did the teardown at Nikkei's uh, facility in Japan, which is pretty cool. In Japan. So uh, tell me how it worked. Did you fly 30 people out to, uh, to Tokyo? We flew three people out to Tokyo. Okay. Um, and and the <laughs> this is actually we, we haven't done a teardown in Tokyo in a long time. Normally we do them in Australia, but the, the reason right. that we go we go to that side of the world is because of the time zone thing. Yeah, Apple so releases you, the gizmos you, eight a.m. Friday, and it's uh, it's the same time zone in in Australia and Japan. 
Japan is uh, an hour ahead of Australia, but in general, basically. So even better, yeah. Yeah. yeah so you, you get in, So you, do you have people waiting in line overnight to get a phone? Yes. Okay. Yes. And how many phones and do they buy? It's really brutal. They buy as many as they can. Usually you're limited to like two per person or something. And how um, many people do you So you have all three in line overnight? Yeah. So we got, I mean, and this was, we now and then both a 7 Plus and a 7. So, so I mean, it's kind of a, a real gut ripper for them because they 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 have a, you know, international flight, fly out there, and then they got to wait in line for a day. And then, <laughs> like, the teardown is like 12 to 18 hours of very detailed, painstaking work. Golly. And who are these uh, lucky people? Yeah, so this time it was it was Andrew and Sam and Jeff. Okay. Uh, and they, are they yeah. iFixit uh, staffers? Yeah, there are teardown engineers. So they've got, yeah, they've got degrees in mechanical engineering and... Um, they're, uh, I mean, they, they are really very good. They're, they're actually, I mean, I think I'm pretty good at taking stuff apart. They're much better than me. Okay, huh. And of course, they're doing, they're doing, you know, they just did the Samsung S7 and every other phone and other devices, yes. you know, play game consoles. Yeah, so every major phone that comes out, we do. Right. Uh, and, you know, so the other thing that we did to, to make this even harder on ourselves was uh, we knew we were going to have three devices that we wanted to take apart, and we wanted to get them online as fast as possible. So we did we did the 7 Plus and the Apple Watch simultaneously. So we had uh, Sam was taking photos for both teardowns at the same time, and then Andrew took apart the Apple Watch while, uh, while Jeff was taking apart the iPhone 7 Plus. Okay, and so yeah, you got, and then you have Andrew taking, you know, looking over their shoulders, going from one to the other, taking pictures. Yeah, and also video too, right? So was he doing video as well? Yeah, we did. We did a little bit of video in Japan, but most of the video we did once it got on sale in the U.S., we got our we got our okay. hands on another one. Right. Okay. Um, okay. I see. Yeah. Yeah. Because and I'm then and then we also had teams. We had a team with a uh, X-ray machine in Southern yeah. California <laughs> with an iPhone Seven, and we had a team decapping chips in Ottawa, Canada. That's Chipworks. So Creative Electron has the X-ray machine, and Chipworks has the uh, has the uh, kind of uh, uh, they have electron microscopes and chip decapping machines to to you know drill into the the chips themselves to find out who's making them. Chip decapping. So you take the top off the, the chip? Yeah, so if you imagine a, a ceramic chip, uh, okay. there might be multiple layers in there. And so uh -huh. you desolder the chip from the board or just cut it off. And then you grind slowly through each layer, like using the finest sandpaper you can imagine. Uh -huh. And then you're looking at it under a microscope to see what's there. So looking for markings or you know manufacturer um, right. names. Right. <laughs> or, or if you if sometimes they're not marked at all. Like uh -huh. Apple's kind of notorious for not marking things, uh -huh. or maybe we have a design. So, like with the with the processor, the question is who's manufacturing the processor. Um, uh -huh. the, in order to find out, you have uh, if it doesn't say, it might not say TSMC or Samsung on uh -huh. the processor. So instead, you kind of have to look at a, a fingerprint of how the the gates are constructed, oh. and you can tell the fab from other chips that you knew came from that same fab. Wow. So, the, the plant leaves a bit of a fingerprint, and you can tell from what it looks like. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah, that's super impressive. Did you manage to uh, identify all of the chips on the, in the iPhone? Uh, we've got just about all of them. We have, we think we've identified the, uh, the accelerometer. Um, we're still, I mean, there's, there's still an ongoing, you know, there, there's a lot of, of parts inside these things, and um, we, we've got all the major ones, uh, and there, there's, but there's still a couple that were... Do they, what, what, do they keep it quiet because, you know, uh, 
Are they, is they doing it for, for competitive advantage, or is it because they don't need to brand these things because no one's going to see them? It's, mm. it's funny. You know, we spend all our time taking apart Apple devices, and there's no logos. There's no markings. It's really very challenging to figure out who makes everything. Uh-huh. If, when you take apart a Samsung device or, or when I take apart a Dell product, it, it's like blinders have been taken off, and all of a sudden it's so much easier to tell what's going on. <laughs> okay. Uh, and that's that's primarily, I think it's a bit of Apple's industrial design chic. They just like don't like lots of markings on things. Even um, on the inside? <laughs> even on the inside. And they then, don't want like Intel inside stickers plastered all over yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, but that does, I mean, the kind of terseness on the board makes repair a little bit harder because they don't say, okay, this is capacitor C29. Uh-huh. Uh, you have to figure it out from its position on the board. Okay, okay, okay. And how do, how does it compare to the the S seven internally? Uh, the, the sort of the, the you know the um, the the engineering of the thing. I think they're both uh, you know pretty well engineered. Now, now I mean you're you're talking the S seven or the Note seven because that's that's the one we just took apart. Okay, I would say that you know the S seven, even though it you know it has its battery problems. Um, it, uh, it has a lot of the same features, right? It's waterproof and it has a big, beautiful screen. It's very thin. Yeah. Is yeah, I mean, you know, they're both very sophisticated, cutting-edge products. Uh, the, the S7 uh, and the S7 Edge are really a pain to get inside at first because they glued. you have to go into the back and they glued the back panel on and then there's a big mid-frame. So they're definitely very different industrial design philosophies inside. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or mechanical design of, of, of the device. Like mm-hmm. the, there's a mid-frame that Samsung uses on, on their uh, phones or has been using lately that Apple, we've never seen Apple do anything like that. And that's, um, I mean, th- that mid-frame is what provides the phone the structural rigidity where Apple's using the metal machined uh, aluminum back. Uh-huh. Uh, so there's kind of some kind of fundamental decisions that you make when you're setting out to design the product what materials you're going to have on the outside and that dictates all the way through. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, even so you look at them and you know, there's a, there's a battery that takes up most of the space and there's a camera and then you fit everything else around it. Mm-hmm. They're both phones. Um, I'd say Apple's design is a little more refined internally, but um, at a high level, they're both very, very good at what they do. And aren't you impressed? That, you know, like I was looking at, read through all your teardowns and I, it, the, the, the amount of technology and the intricacy um, it's astonishing, you know, the, from the Taptic engine, the solid-state button, the ca- the cameras with optical image uh, stabilization. I find it mind-boggling. Yeah, it's it's pretty refined. Um, it's really, I mean, down to the the attention to detail on every component. Uh, you know, phones haven't changed a whole lot, and I mean, the form factor is still pretty darn similar to the form factor of the original iPhone. Uh, but every single part inside has had you know, thousands and thousands of hours of effort lavished on it. Yeah, right. And that's not just the case with Apple. That's really the case with all of the flagship phones. Like, you know, people are, are talking about Apple's incremental innovation strategy, but everyone in the smartphone space has been incrementally refining this, you know, brick of glass and battery and processor for the last 10 years. Yeah, 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 right. <clears throat> Excuse me. So um, you actually give it a fairly high repairability rating uh, this time around, seven out of ten. And, uh, and to explain the repairability rating is how repairable um, the device is by the uh, by the owner by doing it themselves. Um, wh- why did you give it such a high rating this time? Right. Well, this is the same rating that we gave the iPhone six and the 6S. Uh, so we've 
you know, the iPhones have definitely gotten gotten better over time. It used to be, uh, well, the original iPhone was was the worst. It was really really hard to take apart, uh, and and they knew that was a problem and they fixed it in the in the three G. And then we we went we flip flopped for a couple years where for a while it was easy to replace the screen but hard to replace the battery, and then mm-hmm. it was easy to replace the battery but hard to replace the screen on the fours, and then and then with the fives they kind of got it right and they made it they made it easy to replace both. And they've, they've kept that, that kind of fundamental design where you can get in and swap the screen pretty quickly. You can get in and swap the battery pretty easily. Uh, and then some of the other repairs that you want to do are more time intensive. Uh-huh. What, what, and that's the prioritization. What are the components that, 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 um, that need replacing most frequently? The, the battery, the screen, and the, the home button? Uh, yeah, battery screen. I mean, you know, it's really, it's funny because I, I have had conversations with some of Apple's environment folks, and they ask me what breaks, and I'm like, really, everything breaks. Uh, the the buttons break, the headphone jack breaks, uh, the lightning port uh, sometimes breaks. Uh-huh, right. Um, the the home button doesn't break as often as it used to, but it still does. I saw some people talking about, well, it's a it's a good thing that they're, you know. Uh, getting rid of the home button because that's been a major issue and then other people saying it's not an issue. I was looking at our iPhone 6S home button repair manual and it was used over 100,000 times. Oh wow, really? So it still is an issue. Uh, It's not as big an issue as it was on the on the 4s and the 5s but it's it's definitely a factor. Okay, yeah. And so of course, um, you know, the the, the one point um, against it for the repairability was the the use of the tri-point screws. Can you tell me what they are? Yeah, so I'm just completely baffled by this. So you've spent just as much time studying Apple's design as I have. So maybe we can brainstorm through this a little bit. Uh, inside the phone, uh, you have, I mean, on the outside of the phone, we have the pentalobe screw, which, um, as far as I can tell, is there to keep people out of the phone. Now, there may be a symmetry that they like the five point, uh, but it's, it's been clear ever since they introduced it with the FM4, they have a different screw on the outside than the inside of the phone because they don't want people fixing it. I had a different explanation for that. All right, let's hear it. It's it's designed for a robot. It's it uh, it, it it's a the only it's a screw that it you know will stay in a robot tip, and won't fall out. It's super reliable. You know it'll it'll st- stay on the tip of a screw of a robot screwdriver, to be screwed in. Yeah, but the Torx would too, and actually a Phillips does too. Okay. <laughs> uh, and right, if you look at how many screws are inside the phone for a robot to put together, we're only talking two screws of their pentalobe. There's like 30 screws inside the phone. So yeah, if they're yeah. really having a robot do it, wouldn't you have all of them? All of them the same? Well, and, you know, is that true for the tri-point screws too? You know, are they designed for a robot? Or, you know, picking, pick pick, uh, whatever it's called. Yeah, machine? the robots ass- or could assemble a lot of these. Honestly, most of these phones are put together by hand. Um yeah, but they're but doing a even, little. Bo- every year, there's more and more automation, right? Right. Even if you had a robot doing it, I don't think a robot would have any trouble with any of these. Uh, honestly, if I was if I was saying which which uh, bit might be easiest for a robot, I would think it would be Torx. The most common screwdriver or uh, bit type inside of cell phones is the Torx T6, which is an industry standard. It's out of patent. It's completely open. Um, and, and Apple's use that, that bit in, in some of their laptops, but they don't use it in the iPhones. Uh-huh. So they're like okay. the only major phone out there that doesn't use the Torx T6. So you'd think if there was automation, everybody else would be doing it, and they'd just standardize on that. Yeah, Instead, true. inside the phone, they, they traditionally use very tiny Phillips screws and mm-hmm. then the pentalobe on the outside. Yeah. And now they've got these tri-point screws, which are, which are, are they even, you know, they, uh, 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 it's a bit, a bit you can't get. Is that right? Well... <laughs> 
So this is this is interesting because uh, first of all, it's a new screw. It's three points instead of four, like a Phillips. Uh, it is only on the connections to the battery and the display. So you open mm. the phone with a pentalobe, and then the two things you want to disconnect first is the display and the battery, and those are using this new tool. Okay. Why isn't it the same as the pentalobe? I, I have no idea. Yeah. Uh, and then once you get into the rest of the phone, they, they switch back to Phillips. Yeah. So, so yes, this is a tool that hasn't existed. The first time that we saw this tool was in the it was in the Apple Watch last year, uh-huh. and we actually during the teardown we had to take some other tools that we had and use a diamond file and modify our screwdriver oh, in really? order to make it fit the screw in the Apple Watch. Wow. Okay. So after it came out in the Apple Watch, we decided that we were going to embark on a crash project to reverse engineer this screw and add it to all of our toolkits. Uh, mm-hmm. And we did that, and so ever since January, every toolkit that we shipped has come with this, what we thought was just an Apple Watch bit that we're calling the TriPoint bit. Okay. Uh, so now, yeah, Apple's putting in the iPhone to keep people out, but I've shipped a whole lot of toolkits this year to people <laughs> that already <Okay>. have that bit. <laughs> right, yeah, 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 that's great, cool. Um, yeah, I saw that it's in your it's in your sixty-four um, bit toolkit. Yeah, that's our sixty-four bit kit, which is really I think it's kind of the pinnacle of iFixit engineering. We spent a lot of time over the years, uh, uh, kind of deep, you know, diving in and figuring out exactly what people need. And and we you know we run the biggest repair manual in the world, so we can analyze all of the repair manuals and see what the most common bits are across right. all electronics. Uh-huh. And this has like I can prove this has the sixty-four bits that you need. Okay. And how many specialist bits are just for Apple devices? Uh, it's primarily the there's there's a couple different sizes of pentalobe. There's a different size in the MacBook Air, uh, and then you need you need Phillips triple zero, which is standard across lots of devices. Uh, you need some some small Torx devices, which are, or Torx bits, which are also standard. It's really the the couple sizes of pentalobe, and then and then this tripoint. Um, there's that, also a tri wing screw in, in some of the, the laptops. So maybe maybe five or six. Does, do any of the other manufacturers use their own, um, uh, 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 you know, specialist um, bits? Yes, absolutely. Uh, Nintendo has one called the Game Bit. Um, there are there are a surprising number of these kind of proprietary bits. Um, Microsoft is using Torx security bits, which is an industry standard, but they're the security. They're like a star with a with a, uh, a pole in the middle. They like to use those on the Xbox controllers. Um, but to st- for the same reason to stop people um, open them up and tinkering with them. Yeah, so it's ostensibly for the same reason. But I don't. I mean, it's like it's like a Torx um, T8 security, and I don't know who. Like they're thinking that people aren't going to have a Torx T8. <laughs> I mean, at, at this point, like we just include all of the bits, and everybody can get into everything. So this right. seems like kind of a silly cat and mouse game to play. Like clearly, the free market is providing screwdrivers and. I mean, at this point, it's really just just harming the environment with the number of bits that I have to make. I'd much rather have the six-bit kit, not the sixty-four-bit kit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, um, you know, the other thing that 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 that, um, that Apple does is that, that they have some, you know, a very sophisticated um, set of tools in all the genius bars in the in the back room where the, where the you know mm-hmm. where, the, where the things go, get repaired. And you know, what I had been told by one of Apple's designers was, was that they, they, they do take repairability into account, but they don't make it repairable by the consumer. They make it repairable by a specialist with a with a bunch of tools. So you know, is it possible that the the, the tripoint screws could be designed for you know some kind of specialist? 
Yeah, well, they may be. I mean, it could be that they're gonna. It, it could be that they're gonna tell their their geniuses, "Hey, these are the screwdrivers we're gonna give you." Maybe they're not gonna give the geniuses the Phillips screwdriver, and they're gonna say, "This is how far in you can go." And then, if you're doing additional repairs beyond that, we don't mm. want you doing those at the retail stores. Okay, okay. So <laughs> it might be to deter their own to, to their keep own. their own folks out. Because I mean, yeah, you say that they're sophisticated, but really, the the, the Apple geniuses at the stores. I mean, they're they're just monkeys with screwdrivers too. <laughs> <laughs> okay let's hope there's no geniuses listening to this well i mean it, it's it's fine like we have we have folks who used to be geniuses you know working for us and we have uh -huh. some of our folks that have gone there and when when i talk with the apple geniuses and i say hey whose service information are you using apples or ours they say eh, it's 50 50 whether apple's information is better or worse than yours oh that's great that's great that's really cool that's awesome so, you know, the, and the Apple has the advantage of having the engineering diagrams and engineering files, right? We, we get the product uh, and, and we're basically reverse engineering everything. Mm -hmm. And there, there are times where we miss things and we, you know, it, takes, it takes people out in the field to, to educate us. But the nice thing is that the manual that we put out on day one isn't the final manual. Like I, every single day yeah. our iPhone manuals get suggestions and edits and comments. And mm -hmm. after a couple of years, like there is no possible problem you're going to have with an iPhone 6 that isn't already documented on iFixit. We've got thousands of solutions. The repair procedure has really been refined and rewritten several times, and it's really dialed in. That's beautiful. Yeah, that's great. That's really good to hear. The, the wiki model is great, isn't it? Uh, uh, for something like this, what is, what, a, what an amazing resource it's turned into. Yeah, well, and you know, it's been interesting. Like one thing with the iPhone, the iPhone six, for example, is when it first came out, we were at one opening procedure, and that was fine. And then after a couple of years, people started breaking their phones more using that same procedure. Mm -hmm. And we did a little research, and we found that dirt was getting into the crack between the frame and the glass. Mm -hmm. And you actually need to go in and clean that dirt out before you open it because mm -hmm. the dirt was causing the phones to crack when you open them. Oh, and, okay. and that's something that didn't happen at all with those phones the first year of their life. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember wrecking a couple of, uh, uh, of phones, trying to open them up myself and just tearing them to pieces. Yeah, well, you have to be slow and methodical and careful. Uh, but we've helped millions and millions of people repair things themselves. And so when, when Apple says, well, we design them for our folks, but not for individuals, I, I think they're being a little condescending because, of course, people are going to be doing it and they're going to be successful doing it. How many, how many, you know, how big has the movement grown? Because it definitely has grown, hasn't it? The, the, the repair movement, thanks to you guys. Sure. I mean, we helped over 80 million people learn how to fix things last year. How, how, do, you, how do you gauge that? That's based on, on traffic to the site and, and you know, feedback that we get from people. It's, it's actually really shocking how many repairs people can do without, without having to buy parts. Uh, I was at a repair cafe. I'm, I'm in Germany at the moment, and they have these local meetups where people get together and help each other fix things. And they were uh, fixing an old uh, iPod Nano. This was the Nano that, that people like to use as a wristwatch. And this lady had had hers for years. Like this was her, her sole source of music. She still, still was using it. And one of the buttons had pushed through inside it. And mm -hmm. so you know, it took a couple hours, but very methodically pulled it apart. They were able to just super glue a piece back onto the button, put it all back together. Didn't have to buy any repair parts. And, and, and the Nano worked great. Okay, yeah. Well, I love to fix things. I, I get a huge sense of satisfaction out of it. And I'll fix all sort of stuff. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I fixed things from cars and, and you know, I just fixed my uh, my dryer in my house. That was a huge nightmare. It comes to, but you know, like with phones and things, the last time I tried to fix a phone, I think I messed it up even more than um, that it was broken. You know, I stripped up a whole bunch of stuff. That was frustrating, to be honest. Sure. Yeah. Um, 
and it's got to the point now where I can't fix my car. You know, there's no way I would let I fix my car. It has to go to the. It ha, you know, I tried to fix the the thermometer on the car, and then I got to the end of the procedure and I found out that it has to. You have to reset the computer, so um, I had to take it down to the you know to the dealer or the, the to the um, to the shop and, and get them to do it because they had you know I didn't have that equipment, and I, I kind of feel as though sometimes that you know you get to the point with electronics that. You know, like there's a guy up the street who'll fix a screen for eighty bucks, and, and right. to me, to be honest, you know, it's it's much easier, f- it's better for me to go up there and, and pay him to do it. Sure. Um, well, and that's kind of fo- where our repairability score comes in. We we generally figure if I rate something more than a five out of ten, that's something that we recommend most consumers can do themselves. If it's less than a five, then we recommend they take it to a local repair professional. Yeah. Just because I gave something a 2 out of 10 doesn't mean people aren't fixing it. It just means that iPads are hard to open and the pros are better at it than you or I would be. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I saw your, your beautiful eye opener there. <laughs> what a great... Which is a... Uh, uh, how do you describe it? It's like a, a, a sausage that you heat yeah, in the it's, microwave. Yeah, it's, it's a pack of gel, basically, that you throw in the microwave, heat up, and then you can use it to apply heat to loosen adhesive. And you, you, at first, I remember what, you know your reaction to the, when Apple first started to use adhesive was you know i think you were very much sort of offended by it right that it was anti anti-repairable anti-repairability um right. but you seem to have softened your stance a little more in, uh, reading reading you know at least um you know reading the latest teardowns yeah well we are uh, we're pragmatic and we know that the world of electronics is evolving and technology moves moves forward and the repair process needs to move forward and i mean we we take what we do very seriously that we're doing research and development for repair we see new kinds of device designs all the time, and it's our job to find the easiest possible way for people to, to do the repair without damaging the product. And uh, so, you know, some things like like adhesives, like like on the iPads, for example. You know, I know twenty different ways to open the iPad, and there's t- different techniques that we recommend for different types of folks. Mm-hmm. Um, but that design is still a very repair hostile design. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And so, so, I mean, like the last, the last iPads that we've reviewed have still gotten very, very low scores because of the adhesive. Now the iPhone also has a lot of adhesive, but the, the adhesive in the iPhone is designed to be repairable. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there's gaskets that are waterproofing, there's, there's adhesive on the battery, but the adhesive on the battery has a pull tab that's designed to make the, battery, the, the, the adhesive come off so you can get the battery out. And that's yeah. the right way to use adhesive. Okay. So there's actually a difference there, huh? With, with, with the way the Apple uses adhesive in the iPads and the way they use it in the iPhone. Yes, there's a massive, massive difference. And huh. I, I would say the iPad is kind of in the unrecyclable product category, and the iPhone is is very recyclable and very repairable. Yeah, I mean, did you uh, you wouldn't describe it as throwaway, but it's near throwaway. Is that right? Yeah. Well, I mean, the question is, if you if you have a battery that's dead, what do you do with it? Um, every recycler that I know doesn't want iPads. Um, because they don't know how to recycle them safely at, at a speed that is that's fast enough for them. Why is that? What do you mean? How, why don't they want them? So the, the, when you're recycling products, you have to you have to remove the batteries before you can run them through the shredder. Um, electronics recyclers have more problems with fires than than just about any other type of industrial facility. Hmm. And the reason is that you know these lithium batteries, like we saw with the Note Seven, they contain a lot of energy. And you have to mechanically remove the battery. You have to physically remove the battery before you can run the rest of the device through the shredder to recycle it. If you don't, then you end up with, with smoldering batteries and piles of plastic. The plastic catches on fire. And there was a major uh, electronics recycler in the Netherlands that went up in flames a couple months ago. 
Well, uh, okay. This happens on a regular basis. Some of the facilities that Apple uses in California have caught on fire. It kind of looks like those Chinese fireworks factories when they go up. Oh. When you have a battery recycling plant go up, it's a it's an exciting thing to watch. Okay. It's a huge explosion. Right? It's a huge issue, yeah. So they have to go through and they spend you know millions of dollars paying people to disassemble these things and remove the batteries. The problem is that the way the Microsoft Surface and the iPad are designed, uh, the, 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 it's, they actually use robots to glue the, the, the batteries in, and, and there's no uh, safe way to remove the battery quickly. Okay. Now, it's interesting. The iPad Pro actually is okay. So the iPad Air is a problem. The iPad Mini is a problem, but the iPad Pro is fine. And the reason is that they use the same adhesive strips in the iPad Pro that they use in the iPhone. Uh, so there's pull tabs that you can use to separate the, the battery off. So hmm. we've said that the iPad Pro is really the only recyclable iPad, and I don't hmm. know why Apple isn't using the technique from the iPad Pro and the other devices. It, it's a newer device, I guess. Do, do you think they're evolving? Well, it, the, the new Air is newer than the Pro. So we thought, okay, oh, okay. they did it with the Pro, and then they were going to do it with all the rest of the iPads. And then when uh -huh. they released the last Air, we were really disappointed. Mm, yeah, maybe they're using the old production lines. You know, the the the, the uh, maybe or maybe there's a cost thing. Maybe their mar the the adhesive costs more, and their margin is better on the pro. Hmm. Okay. I don't know. How do you know? Um, are you which which phone are you using now? Personally, I've got, I've got a six. And are you going to get a seven? Uh, I don't think so. I'm pretty happy. I mean, I think that. Uh, I think that the the pace of innovation, at least the the, the processor speeds, are plateauing a little bit. Uh, and I think I think you know for a long time with phones, like you really needed to to grab the latest version. My six is plenty fast for me. I'm happy with it. Uh, so I think we're going to be settling into people having phones for three or four years rather than one or two. Yeah, it definitely seems to be slowing down. Um, although this one has been a huge hit. Did you see that there was like four hundred times the uh, demand? Yeah, and, and it's a fantastic phone. I got I got no problems with that. I got no problems with people that want to buy one. But I guess if, if I can give you some environmental advice, if you're going to upgrade to the new seven, go for it. But make sure that your previous phone gets handed off to somebody else, whether you sell it to somebody online or give it to a friend. Like, make sure your previous phone stays in use. Well, isn't that what most of those buyback pro, uh, programs do? They 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 take them and then they 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 sell them. Yeah, yeah, they take them, they refer them, they put new batteries in them, and then they'll sell them uh, either in the U.S. or they'll sell them in other countries, and that's a really, really good thing. Uh, but, but do any idea what the percentage is of phones that get you know go back into use? Or? Uh, it's very, very high. Uh, I mean, if you look at you know Apple's made a billion iPhones, what percentage of those are still in use? I, I think you know as a result of having access to a parts supply chain and an open repair manual for all of them, I think there's a very, very high fraction that are still in use. Any idea what uh, what it is? You know, especially for some of the older models, like what you know. Any, any what about the iPhone one? Uh, uh, you know, that, do you think there's a proportion of those still in use? Yeah, well, they didn't make very many of those. Um, I, I don't <laughs> yeah. actually see very many at recyclers when we go there. Really, yeah. the only the only iPhones that I see shredded are basically damaged beyond repair. Uh -huh. So I think it would kind of be like you know what portion of phones have been driven over, you know, with a tire, like to the point where they're they're completely. Uh, crack. Some of the older ones. I mean, I saw somebody yesterday using an iPhone four. Um, I haven't. I don't see very many iPhone threes uh, in use yeah, in the yeah. U.S. But in yeah. like Africa, they very well might still be in use. Wow. Huh. Yeah. That's great. I mean, it must be like uh, cars, even more so than cars, huh? That these devices stay stay on the road. Yeah, I think it's pretty similar to cars, and you can look at kind of the used um, the used price of products to get a to get a feeling for where things are at. 
I'm looking right now and an iPhone 3G on Amazon is $33. Uh, $33 to $95. So, uh, you know, you're not going to recycle something that's worth $33. You're going to sell it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, huh. Well, there you go then. So it doesn't have a, they, you know, they must still be in use based on that. Yeah, yeah, which is, which is a wonderful thing uh, environmentally. And that's something that, you know, Apple should get a lot of credit for because these devices are so durable and, and uh, particularly the iPhones ever since the 3G have been reasonably repairable. They're staying in service. Some of the, some of the lower end Android devices don't see that kind of longevity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and all the software too. I mean, they, they, they've been fairly good about keeping um, software compatibility. I think iOS 10 doesn't that support the four? Yeah, um, you know they they made a mistake with with iOS 7 and making that available to maybe some older phones that maybe they shouldn't have because it made the phones uh, too slow. Mm. Um, the biggest issue that people have with running old devices uh, is and and staying on older versions of iOS is that you know the new version of the Twitter app in the store may not work on iOS 6. Um, and it would be nice if, if it was easier to get the version of the Twitter app from two years ago uh, yeah. and install on the phone. Right, yeah, but that's not always easy to do, is it? It's not always easy to do, and then it requires app developers maintain old APIs, but in general you have to maintain old APIs too. I mean, I'm definitely maintaining iFixit's API from four years ago, and that's, that's my job as a software developer is if I put an API out there, I dang well better support it. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I just want to ask one more thing about the uh, uh, your fish tank. <laughs> <laughs> Do you still? I've ch- I looked into that yesterday. Um, you have an, uh, an iPhone Seven in a fish tank, and there's a live stream on YouTube. And when I checked in yesterday, there was um, about two and a half thousand viewers on it. Yes, <laughs> yes, it was uh, amazing. It was a lot more popular than than we expected. <laughs> uh. <laughs> that goes back to the early days of the internet, wasn't it? One of the um, at, uh, in um, uh, what was it called? In um, the lab in in Europe, they had a live feed of a coffee pot to, so that people could see whether there was coffee or not. Yes. Where was that? Um, I, I know what you're talking about. I don't remember. Wasn't it the lab where um, uh, Tim Berners Lee worked? I think. I think. I think so. So uh, is it still going, or is it has it finished now? Your, your life. Here? Well, so we we made a uh, we didn't realize this up front, but it turns out that there is an eight hour limit with uh, YouTube Live. Oh, uh, okay. And so they, they cut us off at eight hours. Um, what was interesting was that that was longer than the battery on the phone lasted because we had the brightness <laughs> turned up all the way. Okay. Uh, so we had to, at about seven hours and 30 minutes in, we had to plug the phone in while it was underwater. Oh, okay. Uh, that and that was pretty cool. That totally worked great. We, we, wow. we flipped it upside down, got the, the headphone jack out of, out of the water, and then we uh, used isopropyl alcohol to displace the, the water. Mm-hmm. And then used a uh, you know air gun to blow the air out of it, and then we we put petroleum jelly on the on the iPhone plug, plugged it in, it read it, and then we submerged it, and it, it stayed for another half hour charging. So you can charge your iPhone underwater. You can charge your phone underwater. <laughs> That's too bad it it, it, uh, it flamed out because it would still be going right now, wouldn't it? It would still uh, be going, and that was what what I told them when 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 they did it. I was like, hey, this is cool, but like this thing is going to last a really long time. I mean, Apple might say <laughs> half an hour, but it's going to be a lot longer than half an hour. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so uh, let me ask you about the, f- the the watch real quick. What did you learn about the watch? 
the watch is interesting. The watch is, uh, you know, in, in many ways, it's, it's kind of like going from the iPhone 1 to the iPhone 3G. Like they made a lot of, well, they, they made a couple of uh, specific changes that make it easier to work on. Um, bef uh, the, the first thing is once you get it popped open, um, there, are, there are three ribbon connectors right underneath it. And this is a much more elegant, simple design. I don't know why they didn't do it this way in the first place. But of course, you always say that when you look at version two of something. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so getting the top, uh, the top display off is really nice, and and that's important because we've actually had a lot of people have been breaking their Apple watches and repairing them. Um, I've been uh, really surprised by the demand for Apple Watch repair parts. So uh, on on the Apple Watch series, series two, it's gonna be it's gonna be even easier to swap out the screen than on the other one. And same thing with the battery. There's there's adhesive on the battery, but you can definitely get it out. So what do, what do people break on their watch? The the screen? It's the screen. It's the glass. Yeah. What about the the button? The the uh, crown? Some, not as much, but definitely definitely some. Are you seeing a lot of repairs for the watch? Is it is it significant? Yeah, I mean, we don't know for sure because we keep running out of stock of repair parts. So okay. <laughs> I'm scrounging for uh, for part supply as fast as we can, but we haven't been able to keep up with demand. So so we, we know it's significant, um, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna keep an eye on it. I'm just gonna look and see like how many. Um, I mean, we we have it listed as yeah. So we have it listed as difficult. We've had 121,000 views on the on just the screen replacement instruction on the Apple Watch. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty. So people aren't generally on that page because they're bored. They're there because they want to fix their watch. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's that's quite a lot. I'm surprised. You know, I have a first generation one, and it's really held up. It, it's only got a couple of dings on it. And I, you know, I've I've, I've definitely cracked the um, uh, the glass on a couple of watches in the past. Um, regular watches. Yeah, well, I mean, people do crazy things. <laughs> you know, we're we're out there. I mean, the world is a uh, is kind of a dangerous place. There's a lot of ways to, to break these things, and they've sold a lot of these devices. So, right. uh, I mean, you don't you see a lot more iPhones with broken glass than you do Apple watches. But um, uh, you know that that could change over time. It's a it's a smaller screen. I mean, I think it takes a lot of force to break it, but you certainly can. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, what we're not seeing yet, and I expect this to start in, I would guess, in the next six months, is battery replacements for the Apple Watches. Yeah, yeah, right. Because it's coming up, to, uh, to, is it two years now? Uh, it's one year. One, one year, year and year and a half, yeah. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm expecting we generally see a really sharp uptick at you know, some specific moment in the device's life cycle, and we'll, we'll see what it is with the Apple Watch. How hard is it to, uh, to open up and, rep and replace the battery? Um, well, so we list that on, on the, the original Apple Watch, we list it as a difficult repair. It's 18 steps. Um, it definitely involves an eye opener and heat. Um, the interesting thing, to get in the screen, there's a very, very thin seam between the metal and the glass. And really, you have to use a razor blade to get in between them. So oh, normally, wow. we'll use like plastic pry tools. In this case, you have to use a razor blade. Yeah, um, they're not sharp enough, huh? It's quite a bit easier to open the aluminum watches than the steel ones, just because you mm -hmm. can you can bend the aluminum slightly to, to get your way in. Wow. Um, so I don't think I mean I, I think it's doable. I mean we kind of part of the reason we rate it as difficult is because it requires a knife, and we don't you know want people to know that like don't cut yourself in the process. <laughs> when you slip, yeah. Yeah. And you gouge your finger. Was there anything else we should talk about? So there there are. There are quite a few gaskets uh, in, in the phone. Pretty much every, every area where uh, you're, you're going to have a penetration in the case, there is kind of a series of waterproofing steps. 
And the way that they're treating waterproofing is kind of like like a military installation. You've got various layers of defense. Uh, so they've got they've got uh, seals uh, all the way around around the case. So when you when you pop it open, you know you're you're uh, usually breaking those those seals. So our repair kits are going to have to include replacement gaskets. Um, and you can one of the things like the headphone jack would have been one of the larger penetrations. So removing the headphone jack did make it incrementally easier for them to waterproof it. Now, of course, you know, Samsung's obviously waterproofing theirs, so it, it's totally doable, and the Apple could have if they'd wanted to. Well, they replaced it with a barometric um, dongle. Is that right? Yes. And that's kind of an interesting thing. So, they, yeah, they kept a penetration there, and there's actually like a little one-way valve there because in order to have a barometric pressure sensor, you can't be waterproof because that's also kind of airproof. And you're not going to allow a lot of pressure to contact that sensor. So that there's a, when we first looked at it, we thought it was a resonance chamber for, for a microphone. It turns out it is a resonance chamber for the speaker. Mm -hmm. And then also it's a access passage with a little one-way valve uh, to prevent water from getting in, but allow air in uh, for, for the pressure sensor. And that's that's for the altimeter, so the phone knows how high it is. Does it does it does it, uh, does it move and does it its movement get measured? Is that what gives it the barometric reading? How does a barometric pressure sensor work? I'm actually not sure at a at a MEMS level, at, at the the kind of very tiny level that, that we're at. Oh, that's a that's a good question. I'll do some research and and uh, and learn. I don't know if we identified. Um, Okay, it is a Bosch SensorTech BMT280 or BMP280, uh, and um, so you can you can Google it and and take a look. Yeah, I wonder at what it's it, but uh, they they say one of the things that it does is it speeds up the GPS uh, positioning because if you know how high you are, it's going to make it easier to triangulate. Oh, really? The, wow. And so that very well may be a big reason why why Apple's doing it because I I don't think they care too much about about your height for Apple Maps or other things but they they, they like putting as many sensors as they can in here. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Wow, that's interesting. I don't think they did a very good job of explaining why they why they ditched the headphone jack. The whole courage thing didn't go down very well. <laughs> <laughs> if they said they wanted to do it for put, to stick in a, you know, a barometer to, to improve the bar, you know, to put in a barometric measuring device, I think that would have probably resonated a lot more at least with a certain Part of the audience. Yeah, well, I think they already had one, so it was it was just in a in a different spot. Yeah, yeah. Well, they they made that big. They made that noise. I, I, I know, you know, they made that noise about it, it. It allowed them to put a bigger battery or more room for more internal components. And then some of the reaction um, to your teardown was, you know, people thought it was quote unquote a random piece of plastic. I saw right. that in a couple of headlines. Uh, right. Well, and so Apple PR responded and then confirmed that it was a barometric event uh, in their terms. Okay. And, and that's this is actually I don't know if they have ever officially responded to a technical detail from our teardown before. Apple has this official policy of uh, pretending I fix it doesn't exist. Mm. So uh, that was kind of a fun moment. <laughs> okay. Cool. Well, congratulations. I guess I, I don't know if it's a. This isn't a feather in my cap. It's just kind of an amusing, you know, evolution in Apple's PR playbook. Well, they're, they're definitely getting a lot more open, and you know, and, and answering more questions to the press. I think, and you know, I mean, in the Steve Jobs years, how many times did an executive give an interview? Like right. none. Right. Um, so they're being a little more responsive for sure. Yeah, they're managing it very carefully. Uh, so you know, overall, we gave we gave the iPhone uh, a seven out of ten. So it's a pretty darn good repairability score. Uh, the watch continues to be a challenge. We think that they have a lot that they can learn from uh, you know Rolex engineers and other folks. But we gave the watch a six out of ten. So we think it's possible. 
Uh, you're not going to be uh, doing repairs on the board, but on the on the battery and the screen, which is primarily what you'd repair on the watch. We think it's possible. What was it you just said? They had a lot of input from Rolex engineers. Well, no, I think that they should. I think that that the the Apple Watch in general is not nearly as repairable as a Rolex. Uh-huh. Uh, Do you have guides for Rolex? They're kind of. <laughs> yeah, Apple is is using mass market con- uh, uh, consumer products engineering techniques on the Apple Watch rather than watchmaking techniques. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it does. Um, but and yeah, maybe that's necessary in order to make tens of millions of these things. You know, they're they're making more units than Rolex has ever made. Uh, but. Uh, when I show watches like these to to a you know a, a watchmaker, they kind of look at at the design and <laughs> chuckle and say, "Okay, that's fine. Yeah. Let's let's go get a real watch." Oh now. right, okay, huh? Yeah, I see. But like I said, it, you probably couldn't use real watchmaking techniques um, to turn out. Yeah, I mean, they'll do things like like on the back of it, the, you know, the, there'll be a. Um, uh, yeah, you you can unscrew the back and like the act of screwing it in, the the metal is so precisely machined that 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 metal seals uh, and and is the pressure tight water seal. Wow. So there's there's a lot of I mean, very very precise metal working that happens in in high end watches that we're we're not seeing Apple doing. Yeah, and, and, and you know I imagine it's very expensive, very labor intensive. Sure, to do. and and I mean you're going to have manufacturing tolerance issues too. So. Uh, they'll they'll spend the time where yeah Apple's trying to get a high yield on millions of units. So uh, uh, is there any particular product you're looking forward to tearing down next? What's coming next? You know, all of these VR headsets are really fun. I'm not sure what the next VR headset that's going to come out. I think oh Oculus has their their controller that's going to the PlayStation uh, one is coming out soon, isn't it? Uh, yeah. And theirs is coming out. So mechanically, I think those are the most interesting. Um, this certainly was the most interesting iPhone we've seen in a long while. Uh, but it's it's still a phone. I mean, it's glass and a battery and a board inside. What about the app? I, I like these mechanically more interesting devices. What about the uh, well, the AirPods? I mean, they're going to be they got a few. The AirPods will be interesting. And so the critical question with the AirPods, and I'm I'm holding judgment, but uh, if Apple wants to keep their green credentials, there damn well better be a way to recycle those AirPods. Yeah, I can't imagine there will be. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to be tough, aren't they? Because are they going to be sort of sweatproof and yeah, you think, but you cannot glue a battery inside of a plastic casing and have it be recyclable. It's just not possible. So yeah. uh, we we need to see we need to see a plan and a strategy here. And clearly, Apple knows. You, know, you can see from from the iPhone, like they're really trying hard to make this thing repairable. They know how to do it. Let's see. Let's. I want I want to keep them honest to make sure they do that across their product line. All right. Okay. Well, fingers crossed. Yeah, that they do do that. All right. Well, we better we better wrap it up. Uh, thanks a lot for um, for taking the time, Carl. Absolutely, this was fun. So, uh, when are you coming back to the states? Uh, I'm heading back on Monday. I'm going to eScrap, which is the electronics uh, recycling conference. Oh, okay. And so I'll be with all those recyclers, and we'll be we'll be talking about it. We're actually going to do iPhone teardowns for them. Uh, okay. Uh, and then and then I'll be be back in California on Friday. And that's in New Orleans, is that right? Correct. And that's a big. Uh, is that a big conference? Yeah, it's it's a it's a really I mean it's it's several thousand people. It's not tens of thousands, but pretty much everybody who's in the industry is there. I imagine. Uh, uh, it, yeah, is 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 um, electronics recycling? That must be a major major segment now. It is. It's the fastest growing uh, stream waste stream in the world, uh, and it also I mean historically it's been relatively lucrative. Uh, lately, not so much. Commodity prices have really come down. And uh, a lot of recyclers are struggling. A lot of electronics recyclers have gone out of business in the last year. Mm. 
So it'll be interesting to see if the show is smaller than it than it, than it was. What, um, what 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 uh, what what does you know? It's the fastest growing. What what was the fastest growing stream before? Oh, before oh, I mean, electronics have been for a while. Before that, I don't know. Maybe maybe household appliances. That's a good question. The EPA has that data, but I don't know off the top of my hmm, head. Yeah. Well, that's and New Orleans. What a great town! I love that place. Yeah, it it should be fun. I'm I'm looking forward to it. We're gonna uh, we, uh, we have a lot of friends. Uh, uh, in the industry, what we'd like to see is more product designers show up. Like the product yeah. designers need to be sitting down with the recyclers. Uh, at Dell, they actually do. Dell takes all of their designers to recycling facilities at least once a year, and 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 they disassemble their products and they learn how they're recycled. And I think that that's something that should just be required for every designer in the electronics. That's industry. a good suggestion. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I will happily open offer if there's any designers listening. I will happily take you through a recycling facility and we'll track down some products that you made. Okay, I think that's a that's a good offer. That's a good offer. Okay, Carl, thanks so much. Absolutely, thanks for having yeah, me. Yeah, no, no, no worries. It's always a pleasure. It's super interesting. That's all we have time for this week. I'd like to thank Carl Weens of iFixit. You can find out more about iFixit at ifixit.com. That's I-F-I-X-I-T.com. And be sure to check out the, the repair guide. There's information there about everything you could possibly want to fix. Uh, that was Kane's Corner, a weekly podcast about the world of Apple. New episodes come out every week. Please subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. And if you like the show, please leave a review or a rating. And please check out cultofmac.com. Uh, and follow us on Twitter or Facebook. On Twitter, we're at Cult of Mac, and Facebook is facebook.com forward slash Cult of Mac. See you next time.